Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, change makers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Hello, welcome to Impact the World. And in this special episode, I am beyond thrilled to invite Mike Dooley. Mike and I have known each other for a few years, and you may know Mike from his broad ranging work. And I would say that Mike is most known for his notes from the universe, which have been going for almost two decades. And he has 17 books, including two New York Times bestsellers. He recently released a 10th anniversary edition of his bestseller, Infinite Possibilities. And I brought Mike here because he has had a long career in business and in this kind of work in many different ways. So I knew he would be an amazing guest to have. So Mike, thank you for being here. Thank you, Lee. It's great to be in your company. And thank you for being here today because you and I have just returned from your Solarpalooza four-day event, which was down the road in Carlsbad. And I know what it's like when you run an event like this. So thank you for being willing to come and sit here and talk some more um, today. Uh, you're most welcome. It's always a pleasure to be with uh, a like-minded teacher, a uh, thought leader, if I can call myself that. And uh, it's just a continuation of you know what we do all the time. And it's a, a pleasure to be here. So, Mike, I mean, there's so much I could ask you. What or who were your kind of opening experiences to spirituality? So before you became a voice in this field, mm -hmm. who were the voices, teachers, experiences, books for you? Um, going back to the beginning of my, um, I guess, search for truth, uh, uh, and I, I don't want this to sound overly you know, self-centered, but I, I remember as uh, a, a boy, 11, 12, 13 years old, I, I was always kind of attracted to the fringe, you know, hypnosis, aliens, Bigfoot, and a lot of questions from my parents and the church. I was raised in a Catholic church, not in it, but being Catholic, and, uh, you know, like, why would we go to hell and how could there be a devil? Why couldn't God deal with that? Mustn't God be in everything? And uh, my adventure and journey into to truth uh, began really kind of as a solo adventure um, just because, you know, I guess I always felt like with answers there'd be, you know, power, there would be freedom, even at that age. It's like, you know, why, why, why? Because uh, you know, if I if I get a clue, I might have some traction. And uh, then, as I was not finding anybody to give me kind of you know the absolutes that I believed existed, um, and that I wanted to find for myself in terms of you know who, how, when we got here, and the point of it all, I started drawing my own conclusions. You know, like I said that. God must be in all of us. There can't be anything that's not God. Time has to be an illusion because our lives on a timeline that goes to infinity either way are irrelevant and utterly unimportant. Yet we know they're important, so it's an illusion. And, and um, the books that I read on the fringe fueled me. And then mom, who's an avid reader, said, when I was about 18, you've got to read the Seth material dictated by the late Jane Roberts. Well, she was alive at the time. And uh, she said, you know, 
she goes into a trance, and I was new to channeling, and, uh, and her husband takes longhand dictation, and it's like a perfect book, you know, after, you know, so many sessions. And he claims to be from a, a disincarnate uh, kind of uh, realm and was dishing on the nature of reality. And I was like, you, you have lost it. This is really dangerous. I'm worried about you, Mom. But the things that Seth had to say, like Mom said, just forget where it came from. Um, kind of just experience Seth. And it was like, you know, mind-boggling, mind-blowing confirmation of my own little deductions from, you know, 11 to 18 years of age. And then these big leaps and big dots connected that I could never have connected on my own, just like, of course. And I knew I wasn't being judged and I knew we are eternal beings. And, you know, I tell people now, you know, truth, and I believe it's absolute. I do not believe it's different from one person to the next, you know. I believe there are an endless number of roads to truth. And every road and every path needs to be respected, but truth is truth. Mm -hmm. um, when you start getting there, it starts, you know, resonating with you. And, and when I found Seth and these others, I had approval. I gave myself approval to be like, yes, believe that you are not judged. Believe that you're here for a reason, that there's order, uh, that it's about the adventure, that all things are possible, that what you think about, you bring about, what you focus upon, you experience. And it was just like I was lit up to live the most rocking life imaginable, never to teach it, you know. So I got my degree in accounting and, uh, and that lasted for six years and I became an entrepreneur. That was an amazing 10 years. Uh, and then the dark night of my soul, things were coming apart at the seams and I started sending out inspiration that I wanted to receive that nobody was receiving and ended up on this path 20 years ago. Amazing. Because you ran a t-shirt business with your brother Andy, who yeah. I just met and who's wonderful, and your mom. Um, and that went really well for, well, yeah. almost, it, well, it, it started to collapse after a decade, but it went really well for a long time. Yeah. You shared this on the stage the other day. And from that collapse, as is often the case for many people, not for everybody, something else was born. And in your case, it was Notes from the Universe. Yeah. Yeah, it was, the, it was the dark night of the soul. The t-shirt business had done very well. The three of us sold $10 million, and it's not bad for three people. You know, we jobbed it out. It was over a decade, but we were living the lives of our dreams until trends declined, and we decided to liquidate for pennies on the dollar so that we would not sink with that ship. Mm -hmm. And that began... Um, a long spell of deep-seated fear that the best of my life was over. I was uh, on the cusp of turning 40 years old. Um, I wanted inspiration that, that, that wasn't available the way I wanted it, you know? And, and that was like unexpected little shots in the arm by email uh, that, were, that would be a reminder that, you know, I'm powerful. I'm here for a reason. Don't try to figure out what just happened. Figure out how to move forward from it. And so I sent out emails from Mike that evolved into emails or notes from the universe. And um, that's been the lifeblood to everything I do. So you sent those emails to the people who were on the email list for the t-shirt business originally. Is that yeah. how it worked? Yeah. And originally it was from Mike, but it was the same form that we now know as the notes. Pretty close. I mean, no, I mean... When I switched it to writing as the universe, of course, you're coming from a higher level mm. and you're speaking a bit more 
profoundly, and I resisted that. I thought that's arrogant. That's going to be conceited. Like, who the hell are you to talk about to to assume um, that role? But when I wrote the very first one, because this feeling wouldn't go away, you could say more. It'll be more impactful if you write as the universe. Um, I, I suddenly realized there was room for levity and lightheartedness. Uh, and uh, and then I, I would sign off those as the universe. So it would be coming from on high. You know, this is the universe. Today I'm going to be recording all of your thoughts, words, and deeds, whether they're good or bad, generous or stingy, helpful or hurtful, and I'm going to play them back for you as soon as possible as some type of physical manifestation in time and space. Thank you. That is all. <laughs> that was the very, very first note I ever wrote. And it was like, oh, this can be fun. This is lighthearted. This is what people have heard before, but said in a different way, and it'll stay with them. I could never sign that as Mike. No. So the whole uh, slant changed. Um, and it was like, uh, that's what I wanted to do from the beginning, but never would have thought of it kind of just out of isolation. So it was a good thing, and I teach now, that I started out down this kind of confused, dusty dirt path, uh, not the life of my dreams, um, not even close to the life of my dreams, but because I started down that path, uh, I was led to the life of my dreams. I, it, it became and it turned into the yellow brick road. And it never could have happened if I hadn't started out down uh, what I sometimes call one of my least sucky options. You know, <laughs> choose your sucky options if you crashed and burned, uh, whether it's romantically or financially or health. Choose your least sucky option. I know they all suck, otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have been in this crash and burn anyway. So the least sucky are the most bearable, and those, that's all you need to be reachable. You know, you program the magic with end results, uh, not hows, but end results of, you know, the life that you're yearning for, wealth, friends, laughter, joy, travel. Uh, and then you need to show up and be out there. Mm. doesn't matter what road you start out on. It won't be the road you arrive on. So just start and get on any darn road. Yeah. And uh, you become a lightning rod for serendipities and transformation. And you wake up one day living the life of your dreams, as yeah. you know so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's something that you and I share, which is we were both fans of spirituality and self-growth. And to me, that was like my passion and my hobby while yeah. I was trying to unsuccessfully beat down the doors of the music industry. Yeah. And never did I imagine that this would be what I'm doing 15 years later. And yet I now say that to people in workshop rooms, wherever I'm speaking or teaching, or if it's one of mine, I'm like, you're probably not just here as a hobby. Like you might think you're here as a hobby, but we're all needed. And those of us that have studied consciousness and self-growth and spirituality, it's going to be needed more than ever in the coming decades. So figure out what you might want to do in it. Please, please, but please. But I'm, I'm curious with you in the notes. You said that you wanted to create these emails that would be like a shot in the arm. Which came first? Did you write one of these notes from the universe and then decided to put it into an email? Or was it the visionary idea that we need these short statements in emails? Which Do you remember which came first? Oh, yeah, it was a very practical evolution based on, um, you know, necessity in my life. And, and so much of my life, so much of the magic in my life was first stirred up through logic, which mm. is way overrated in our society, but too often spiritually where people will, will give it zero credibility. Oh. So, you know, please yeah. get a little logical. That means you're on board with believability. Mm -hmm. That means it seems 
doable to you instead of, you know, the universe loves me, so I'm going to sell kitten leg warmers and uh, revolutionize the world for cat hey, lovers. It's like Now that could work, Mike. You could have just stumbled onto something there. It could have, it could have. Uh, we all love, uh, who's to say whether cats. there'll be a rage or not? But yeah. it's my hypothetical go-to when I, when I want to try to illustrate, you know, some far out idea that somebody's brought to me and they're really enthusiastic because there's a law of attraction and the universe loves me and yeah. I'm being pushed on to greatness. They use some of my terminology to justify something that that to me seems illogical, like kittens aren't cute enough already, you yeah. need to put leg warmers on them. Uh, and that could be the rage one day, but with a little logic, open up a pet store, maybe online, sell you know, catnip and offer the kitten leg warmers. Mm -hmm. By getting a little logical, you create more opportunity. And, and for me, when we liquidated the t-shirt business, uh, it, it was like, you know, it had identified us for a decade. It was our pride and joy. It was humble beginnings. It suddenly took off. We were traveling all over the world. We had distributors in Japan and Guam, Saipan and Europe and department stores in the US. And then, you know, down to nothing. It was like, what are we gonna do? And as I was assessing my sucky past, literally, you know, nothing was the life of my dreams, you know, but I had to do something. It's not gonna knock on your front door. So one of the things I thought was, since you were emailing a few people, 36 email addresses to begin with in was 1998, the very beginning, wow, that's so 36 cool. email addresses. And can I ask, it's now over a million, right? Uh, it's over 800,000. Okay. And it's so a really good list. So we clean yeah, yeah, yeah. it, we purge it, we get rid of addresses all the time. That's we, great. Over the years, it's probably been, you know, 3 million unique addresses, right. 5 million unique addresses, right. but, but it's, a, it's a very appreciative 800 plus thousand mm. right now. So the 36 people in the beginning just got the t-shirt deal of the week because it was a t-shirt business. And the t-shirt had little poems I wrote about life, dreams, and happiness, really metaphysical, combined with my brother's graphic designs, reflective of the souvenir markets the shirts were sold in back then. And uh, since we liquidated, there was no product, there was no deal of the week. And even though nobody bought the t-shirts in the deal of the week back then, was, this was the infancy of you know, e-commerce, 1998. Um, it was still cool as heck to, you know, I'm a former accountant, CPA, um, to have a database, a mail merge, and hit send, and people in Australia and the UK and Amsterdam and you know, Johannesburg are getting emails from me, even if they didn't buy. I wanted to keep that going. We, we liquidated the inventory. I thought, well, how can I justify emailing those folks? Um, and I thought, you know, I had been programming my Outlook, my Microsoft Outlook with the same reminder every day, Mike, it's all illusions, dreams come true. I thought, what if that was emails? What if it was motivation? What if I just sent out a Monday morning motivator to these few people. And it took a lot of nerve to do that. Who am I, given where my life was, yeah. to be the one telling other people what the tricks are to living the life of your dreams. But I thought, just do it one time. And I did. And the, the response was swift and positive. People liked what I wrote. Uh, mind you, I spent eight hours coming up with the first three paragraphs. Is that, you know, we all have to give our level best. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to do it. And if they don't like it, I don't care. It's mm -hmm. going to be bad. So I did it to where I really liked that email. And every Monday I wrote until I really liked it. It would be many hours to this day, a note from the universe. Like, and they're shorter than ever. 
few sentences long can take four hours. Yeah, you Until told me I'm that. really like, I can't wait to send that out. But it comes back. It comes back so many times over through people attending my world tour events or buying books or you know, all the different things that I offer now. You know, I just realized I have never seen, and, and this is, I'm going to use a judgmental word. So sorry, highly spiritual people who don't like this word, but I have never seen a bad or weak note from the universe. Mm. And I don't mean that to sound judgy. I'm just realizing that you have maintained the vibration. I think I must have first seen the notes. I don't know if I knew that you were on The Secret. I know The Secret came out, what, 2006, yeah. 2007? And I saw it around 2007, but I saw the original version that Esther wasn't edited out of. Uh -huh. And then I saw the other version mm -hmm. that Esther was no longer in. Um, so with you and that's for anyone watching that's esther hicks who was the original inspiration for the secret it's a very interesting story you can check it out online um but yeah i think what was funny for me was um i as a raw viewer of notes from the universe i was like this is cool the universe has great things to say like i never really thought who's the man or woman behind this because i didn't know your name at first yeah. i just knew the notes from the universe which i think is really cool um, but then, of course, the secret came along. Now that years and years later, right. Rhonda, who created the secret, yeah. um, was a subscriber. I got an email from Melbourne, Australia. Right. We love Infinite Possibilities, the audio program. We love the notes. We're coming to the U.S. to do a documentary on the law of attraction. Uh, can we interview you? And I was like, you know, who is this, and what do you really want? Am I supposed <laughs> to invest? Uh, and and. It, became clear quickly that it was a legitimate mm. uh, endeavor and I was honored to be included mm. and uh, that's how I got in the secret. They were getting the notes. Well, and let's talk about that for a second because it's such a big thing. And I, you know, I, I had a disagreement with someone recently who kind of was saying, oh, the secret got it all wrong and it was just, and I went, no, it didn't. I said, it, I understand what you're saying. Yes, there are more layers to what the kind of headline of the yeah. secret has become in the media. Or, or true, in the way that true, people report true. it. But actually, in, at that time, for that movie oh, to yeah. have hit the way it hit, it was a phenomenon, and it, it helped raise the consciousness of the planet. Yeah. It put a whole, new, a whole new thing on the map. So I, I thought that was interesting, but it was such a phenomenon. First of all, what was the actual process for you of, of filming? Like how many days, how many hours? What was oh. your experience of the actual filming of this thing that was... Unbeknownst to you, going to become this big uh, phenomenon. It was just I flew. I was flown to Chicago um, for the day only. Uh, I got there probably ten or eleven in the morning. Um, was in the hotel. Uh, the hotel suite was where my bit was filmed, as well as some other people. I think they had about a hundred people that were filmed, wow. and it got whittled down to I think twenty-five featured teachers, it might have been 150 people. I mean, they had miles worth of film. God, to I wouldn't parse have to be the editor edit. for that. No, <laughs> no. But, um, but I was probably done in three or four hours, and uh, it was a very new experience for me. I'd never done any film or... Uh, well, you'd never done anything on nothing camera? Nothing like that wow. on camera. And, okay. uh, I was very intimidated. I was quite nervous. I, I garbled some of my sentences, stop, do that again, say it this way, but don't, it's like, oh, it was painful, <laughs> honestly. And by the time it was done, I was, uh, 
I was both elated but devastated because I felt like, and I remember telling Rhonda, I just feel like I didn't get out what I needed to get out. She said, we're going to make it look great. Don't you worry. Um, and one of my stories that I tell in Infinite Possibilities, you know, my first like metaphysical demonstrable success, you know, was uh, a vision board that a few years later uh, came to pass where I'm sitting in Hong Kong Island uh, and I see the exact same vista and uh, scenery that was captured by a photographer earlier from a magazine that I put in my scrapbook. I was like, oh my God, I, I told that story really good. And it was going in the secret. I'm like, oh man, I'm just gonna be so happy about that. And then John Asaroff had a story that was like 10 times better, that he was in his new home, you know, in the Hollywood Hills or somewhere, and his son, who hadn't even been born when he made his first scrapbook, you know, the, when the, John made his first scrapbook, um, saw a picture of, of this dream house, and it was the house that they were unpacking in. Wow. So the, how, the dream house on John Asaroff's vision board from like, you know, seven years ago, was the house he was just moved into <laughs> and his son sees the vision board. His son hadn't even been born by the, at, when the, the thing was made. And it was like, oh my gosh. So that got cut after being, uh, I believed, uh, slated for inclusion. Um, and so in the end, <laughs> that I got to say thoughts become things, and just that way, because those are like my words, not that I'm the first who ever said it, but I'm the first in uh, metaphysical circles that I know of mm -hmm. or have ever read of. They got to say my thing and it's in the secret. And I got to talk about creative visualization, feel the emotion, imagine your dream car. Ah, what a hoot, what a great thing. And it's just having been in it, you know, is, uh, was such a, a boost to my visibility and everything I was doing is like, what a gift, what a total gift. And yeah, you, you were already, you already had a thing going when that came along, but yeah. how, what was the experience of the trans, because suddenly you would have gone to a, a whole new level of scale in your work, right? Yeah. Um, what was that like as an experience? It wasn't, uh, you know, my audience sizes probably went from an average of 60 in my world tour, my first world tour and my uh, about halfway through the second world tour is when the secret hit. Mm -hmm. And audience, the average size maybe only went up by 100 people, like 160. Mm -hmm. So that was not huge. But I, I remember my database of subscribers, Rhonda praised the notes from the universe early on in her secret scrolls email. And there was a big bump from like, I think 75,000 to like 100 and almost doubled, almost 150,000. That was like the biggest jump I've ever had in 19 years. And, um, and maybe the, one of the most impactful things was that my audio program, Infinite Possibilities, which was my real life, you know, the only thing I was making money on other than speaking, you know, sending out free emails, uh, then came speaking and then came this Infinite Possibilities audio program. No publisher would publish it until I was in the secret. And then Simon & Schuster published it and it debuted on the New York Times bestseller list. And Simon & Schuster was thrilled enough that we did like, you know, six more books. And that led to me doing uh, stuff with Hay House and that led to many more books. And so things became a, a lot more professional, but it wasn't like, um, you know, 
it wasn't um, and it wasn't as stark uh, an overnight contrast as I kind of thought might happen. Although I didn't anticipate anything, and uh, you know, I, I was always happy like uh, how things were going. Yeah. You know, we didn't know it was going to blow up, and it, it got bigger, and my audiences were watching it, and everybody was celebrating it, and. Uh, you know, my audience size doubled. That was great, and uh, not not gigantic, but who knows in the sense what intangible difference it made or unknown difference it made um, in in the fact that I have been sustained mm -hmm. and on this upward spiral for almost twenty years now. I mean, yeah. it was one of many important milestones in the whole evolution of my work and career, mm -hmm. and you can't really. Can't really know for sure, but it was a good thing, undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly, I've met so many other people now because of that that I might not have met, yeah. and so. Yeah, it's interesting because for for me, I sometimes forget that you were in that movie until I hear you introduced us in the secret. Because I, I think I knew <laughs> yeah. you as as Mike, and one of the most meaningful things to me about about you and your work is is a personal thing, really. Um, aside from the fact that we have a very close mutual friend who we both love and adore. Um, that introduced us several years ago. I think what was cool for me was it, I was just about to leave England for America. It was 2011. And I had been doing this work at that point for seven years and I'd been running workshops around the world for five years. But my brother went through a really significant awakening in 2009, 2010. He, mm. he had a health crisis that kind of led to him looking into metaphysics and self-growth and getting really lit up by it. He came to me for several sessions, which I never expected, you know? I didn't expect anyone in my family to necessarily get on board with what I had experienced. Mm -hmm. So one of the best, one of the most wonderful days of my life was him expressing that you had an event in London in 2011 and he's going, oh, Mike Dooley's gonna be doing an event. And so I immediately just bought us tickets. I tried to get us the VIP tickets, but you'd sold out so that we could, you know, there was, there was, there was a special ticket that 20 of us could be in a room with you for an hour, but they were all gone. And I was like, well, don't worry, well, you know, oh, and he was so happy. And then it was wonderful because you did this event and I don't know, there was maybe 250, 300 people in the room. Mm -hmm. And you, I remember you signed books at lunch. so. I waited for him while he got in line, and then he has a photo with you, and he was he was so lit up. Oh and so, my so, so thank you for being an ambassador, just on a personal level, for my brother. And what was brilliant for me was I was sat next to him in a workshop that I totally knew the vibration of, and it's it was, you know, in my own way, I was doing that work around the world, but you were the ambassador for him that I could sit next to and watch him kind of lapping it up and so that and you just, were there oh yeah i was there i was there I was, yeah it was great you i never know wow. yeah no right small so world no and i didn't come and say hi because i always <laughs> well i just feel you know i know what it's like uh, when you have a long line of people another person to have to say hi to i thought no this is my brother's moment and i'm sure i'll meet mike in the future and, and we did lo but, um, and behold yeah no that's, that's so great what a great story and i yeah I, i'm Flattered and thrilled, and look forward to seeing your brother again one yes, day. Yes, you'll meet him one day. Knowing yes. who we all are now exactly. in each other's lives. Exactly. So, you know, one of the things we were just talking about, and the reason I was asking you kind of how you've experienced the scale of your work is I think often we have this kind of human programming that bigger is better, um, more status, more money, mm -hmm. more followers. It's kind of like a kind of 
conditioned programming thing as that is better. But one of the things I learned through mentoring a lot of entrepreneurs one-on-one -on -one and then and healer entrepreneurs and creatives and now through um, the Impact the World program that I run is it's interesting that one of the biggest fears many of the people I've worked with have is the idea of coping with the growth of their work, either because of dealing with perhaps being a little more known or the very tricky nuts and bolts of it. You know, I, one of my biggest growth oh, yeah. journeys has been trying to figure out how to, how to run and hold a growing business oh, and yeah. keep the integrity of what you're doing and the vibration of what you're doing in the outside world while also learning a ton behind the scenes. Um, how, how have you experienced the scale of things? I mean, sure, it's great and it's lovely that it affects more people, but what have some of the challenges for you been around oh, that? Oh boy, well, we're no exception to, to those things you're exactly speaking of. In particular, you know, in, in the beginning for me, I mean, it was me and just me, <laughs> it was nobody. I mean, I would write the notes, I would do the coding on the website, I would offer, you know, a sticker package, a certificate, uh, a self-published book, uh, and then I would rush to the post office and post them, and I did everything. Um, so the big adjustment at first came, you know, getting a team of people together. You know, w you know, first it was one, then it was two, then it was three, four, then it was five, six, and, um, and you know, and even now to this day, that can be one of the most vexing things, um, trying to delegate and trust um, so that I can do what I like doing the most, where I'm most effective, um, and and know that it's going to all go the way I would have wanted it to go, which it never does. I mean, that's part of delegating. It's You're going to bring on a new personality, you're going to have a new flair, you're going to have new strengths as an organization, and, and some weaknesses. And um, to this day, I, I kind of work on balancing uh, I almost think it boils down to trust, you know, how much I can trust, how much I can just uh, just turn it over to them, um, and, and how much I still need to be involved. Mm -hmm. Coupled with, uh, you know, affiliate marketing, viral marketing, um, just marketing in general, it seems like that's become a bigger piece of what I do and what I see my peers doing and what I know um, my my, the two publishing houses I work with do. Um, it's, you know, it's clever copy is really valuable. And uh, I think I do a good job with that. And so I'm trying to write the notes and the next book and the copy for, you know, each and every landing page at my website. There used to be like no landing pages. It was like sign up for the notes or nothing or the Ask Mike form. So it's like all of a sudden, all of these plates are spinning. It's like, I, and when I finally do get the courage to trust more, uh, make the investment, bring on another talented person, not view them only as a, an additional cost center, mm. but as a profit center, which is going to take some startup time. So there's going to be a quarter year, six months before this profit center makes profit. Mm. And it's like, that's the way it goes. That's the way you do it. This is, you know, one of the most beautiful things about, well, it's true of all life, but certainly true as an entrepreneur. It's, um, it's a snapshot or a metaphor or um, the actual, you know, scratch paper 
for us metaphysicians to walk the talk, you know, because it's a segment of all things that we teach, you know, love, patience, mm -hmm. tolerance, mm -hmm. setting the bar high, mm -hmm. not putting up with this. Does that mean turning your back? Are you being cold? Have you shut somebody out? because they're no longer working for you. I mean, I've had to let people go yeah. in these 20 years and it hurts, yeah. uh, it hurts them, it hurts me. There's feelings, there's humiliation, there's embarrassment, there's the need for money. I mean, so how do you do that in a loving way? Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge every step of the way. How, how do you run a razor sharp business um, while at the same time, you know, creating space for people to grow, which means allowing them to slip and fall sometimes and nurture them without prematurely drawing a line saying, you know, the resonance isn't good anymore and let me help you find something else to do kind of thing. Yeah. So, so the blossoming of this flower of the business of tut.com has, um, you know, created a much broader stage for me to learn more really rocking lessons. Because, yeah. you know, if anything's uncomfortable, if anything's difficult, if you've got problems, as a note from the universe once said, you know, uh, there to help show you that there are still some things you misunderstand. Because mm. not, not that it's going to be a utopian world, but how you handle everything that pops up can be kind of from a utopian perspective. It's like, okay, this is not what I thought it would be. This is how I'm going to handle it with love and resolution and move forward without losing a night of sleep, without whatever, and while continuing to nurture those who are on board and who are in receivership of the services that we're creating and selling. Yeah. So it's like, wow, it's like so many things and it's like, uh, yeah, sometimes it's pretty daunting. It's pretty daunting. I, I admire somebody like Reed Tracy at Hay House, who's got, you know, hundreds of employees worldwide, and I'm like, mm -hmm. hundreds, hundreds. Mm -hmm. You don't, you can't even know some of those people. Mm -hmm. What if they have their hand in the cookie jar? Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. And it's like, oh, you know, this, you know, I'm inspired. I'm inspired yeah. by. It's like this can be done. Yeah. Yeah, wow, it's it's so interesting because it, I relate with so much of what you're talking about. And I, it's funny, I have a friend who has a very, very big business, like a, a billion dollar plus. And I look at that friend and I see how he is managing it. And I see the level of, I won't even say stress because I think he manages it incredibly well, but it, it kind of shows you like what we're doing at our level, you know, you blow that up by a thousand times yeah. and the amount of employees in the worldwide thing and you think god you know and i i'm still adjusting to the the width of the shoulders required to run something like this behind the scenes which you may never really know based on what you see at the front you know oh, yeah so it's you know why would you how could yeah. you ever suspect that until yeah. you go out on your yeah. own and then you yeah. You realize, yeah, it's yeah. something else. It is, yeah. but I think this might sound maybe like a consolation to myself or small entrepreneurs, but I think uh, much of what we're learning, whether it's a dozen employees or six employees or mm -hmm. two or 2,000, we're learning the same lessons, so you know? True. So it's all um, relative, you know, if you get the Harvard MBA or you have just, just natural born talent or whatever, and all of a sudden you've got 2,000 people, you're gonna be dealing with some of the same stuff. And, and, and yeah, it does ramp up, it does change a bit, but we're all learning faith. Mm. We're all learning trust. 
we're all learning love. Mm. Um, and so, you know, whether you learn love with two or 2,000, I mean, the core lesson is the same. That's true. And, uh, and I think, you know, too often we, we lose sight of that. And, uh, you know, I, I admire anybody who can, you know, make a stab at it on their own. Yeah. Um, make decisions uh, that will have major repercussions in their life and, and live with it and go with it and believe in it and don't uh, fall back. Uh, I think it's kind of cool and it's kind of romantic and it's kind of the beauty of the adventure of life. And it's exactly what we teach, you know, hold that vision. Yeah. Don't micromanage. That's one of yeah. my big lessons to, to my uh, audience is don't micromanage. And it's like, you know, listen up, dude, yeah. <laughs> don't micromanage. The vision, wealth and abundance, creative, fulfilling opportunities, um, you know, open hearts and open minds. You know, we, we're, we plant seeds, I think, Lee, you and I, you know, that will one day blossom in the minds and souls of other people, this lifetime, the next. And it's like, what could be more glorious than that? Sure. Uh, and this is what we're doing. And anybody on board is, you know, part of that resonance. And, and how can we help them be more effective yeah. or find where they could be more effective, you know? stuff yeah. I'm learning to this day. Totally. No, I'm with you. But I, beautiful, huh? It's amazing. I mean, it really is amazing. And, and the one thing I was just thinking recently, I was looking at where we're at, me and, me and my little team, and I was, I was remembering how I felt in 2015, 2016, and you and I are recording this at the end of 2019. And I was scared. Like, I remember in 2015, 2016, and probably a fair amount of 2017, feeling intimidated by the growth of my work, feeling like an incapable business owner. I felt really capable doing the front stuff because yeah. I'd done that for years, like that I knew. But the, the behind the scenes of like team dynamics and like trying to manage all these projects that were growing around us and funding the whole thing and oh figuring God. the whole thing out. Oh but it's so amazing, like now I'm really enjoying it. And I remember a business coach I had around uh, a few years ago, she, she went, you're going you're gonna to love this in the future. She said, right now, you don't like that you've got to let someone go uh, because you've spoken to them about something three times and it, it isn't repairing itself and there's now a dynamic at work in the company that is having a negative effect among the, among the team. Um, but she said, you're going to get really good at this. And it's interesting because I think of how scared and kind of uh, raw I felt yeah. about becoming a business owner in, at a new scale a few years ago, and I look at it now and I'm like, oh, wow, I, 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 I don't have any of those things anymore, but only because I stayed in the game and went through every little scratch, knock, yeah. and eventually your body just calibrates to it and your, your mind and your emotions, and then you're at an, another level, and it's like, oh, great, I'm glad we're here because now I can see how we can be even more helpful or useful. And I, I think you talking about affiliate marketing and stuff is interesting because one of the other things we're doing, which wasn't really around 20, 30 years ago, is if you look at the internet model, that we have had the benefit of being able to meet all these people from around the world, mm -hmm. in which I think if you're, you know, if you're listening or watching this show and you're 30 or under, you've kind of grown up with that. But for any of us, I'm 43 and, and above, we remember a time where there was no internet and everything was controlled by television companies um, or publishing houses. And if you weren't associated with any of those, there was no way for your work to reach people. Right. It was very much a singular doorway. I think 
what's interesting about this time is there are so many of us producing free content yeah that's very different to what the world you know 30 years ago you had to buy a book you had to go to a concert you had to buy a dvd or a you know so it's it's interesting i i think all of these marketing pieces it's the open these, source you know it's yeah. like google it's like you know free email and it's amazing and uh yeah but you know uh, look at they're sitting on a hundred billion dollars cash right now yeah and they're ruling the world yeah and they probably offer more free than anybody else that is a a dynamic i've also noticed and it's it's kind of thrilling it's mm -hmm. like it's like oh you don't have to worry about the things i thought i had to worry yeah. about i mean notes from the universe are still free almost 20 yeah. years later. I say, you know, because 19 years ago is when I started. Um, and they'll always be free because I think it was a Harvard Business School um, study that said, you know, the ideal business model on the in the world is get on the internet, have a free service that attracts folks like a search engine or notes or inspiration, and then an optional purchase for those who want more. And yeah. It's like, how cool is that? That's you know, fantastic. and you're reaching all these people. You're not closing the door. Um, it's making a difference. And then there's a subset of these people who really want more. Please, I love the notes, or I love whatever you're doing. And um, you know, why don't you have a retreat in Costa Rica? Mm -hmm. Would you please? And, and so you know, it's like win, 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 win. It's like, yeah, and it's it's kind of. I think, uh, even for me, I'm 58, you know, I, I think there's still some unlearning of old school business yeah. models that, uh, that needs to take place, you know, in my own mind, just, you know, think profit later, you know, think mm -hmm. popularity, think service mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. If you find that you can provide something of value, it will become popular mm -hmm. and then you'll have a platform and there will be those in the platform who want more and it's uh, sorry for this runaway train but you know i, I did it with notes and then an audio program and this was before there were video courses yeah. there was no video courses yeah there was no you know sales funnels there was no nothing and and it's like wow the I stumbled. It was the, it was life's magic. I had an end result, wealth and abundance, creative, fulfilling work, friends and laughter, um, you know, with an underlying, you know, focus on happiness and service. Um, but that end result, followed by me going down sucky paths and doing what I could with what I had from where I was, which always seems inadequate. Do it anyway. You become a lightning rod for serendipities, and suddenly I have an audio program. Uh, I'm invited to be in the secret, this upward spiral. I'm, I start hosting events twice a year all over the world, African safaris, you know, all those things. It's like astounding. And you know, even hearing us talk about this now, it's like, where can you be of the most value? Do it for free. So and true. then there will be those who want the add-on. So and, and now, you know, we've gone through the video courses, they're still hot, um, you know, alliances, uh, joint ventures, uh, live events, um, and who knows what else is coming down mm -hmm. the pike. But like you said, there's a flood of free information, but, but, you know, build it and they will come. And if you're being authentic, I have found, um, you're going to hit notes that nobody else is hitting. Mm -hmm. And there will be people who will need to hear from you that I could never reach. There'll be people I can reach that you could never reach. And there'll be people that neither of us will ever be able to reach. But somebody watching right now is just like, 
going to make all the difference in there in that other person's life. And it's like, do it, do it, get out there, but be authentic, be of service. Then you'll know how to monetize it. And it's a really Hallelujah, baby. Ride. Yeah. Hallelujah. You know, one of the best things you said to me when we were having a conversation, it was about 2016. And we, 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 that was kind of the, around the first time that we'd really connected, I think. And um, you said something to me on a phone call that was brilliant. You said, well, the internet, you asked me how I was doing what I was doing. And number one, I thought that was, I was like, wow, Mike's asking me what I'm doing. Because, you know, I had so much respect for you as someone who'd been doing this for a longer time. Remember when I came to see you with my brother, you were on a world tour, yeah. which is what you call them. And I'd not really seen that. So, you, you know, you'd really, this was brilliant. You, you know, you'd taken yourself off on your own world tour. And I thought, well, that's cool. So you said, well, the internet's the Wild West and we're all just figuring it out. And I thought, I hadn't really thought about it like that. You know, I think that mindset of, oh, that person's got it all figured out was still to some degree at work in my own mind as I was also feeling slightly inadequate as a business owner. Um, And so it was very healthy for me to have, you know, that Mm -hmm. personal conversation with you and for us to talk about business and you know it's one of the things I, I I say to people about all areas of life whether it's you're listening to this thinking oh I've got this idea but I don't know if I'm good enough to do it we are all making it up as we go along yeah, and if we aren't making it up as we go along we're not alive we're, we're following someone else's dream stuck in comparison thinking we should be doing it like Oprah which will never work because there's only one her and there's only one you and um so yeah, hallelujah to everything you yeah. just said. And, and to what you just said, I remember that conversation. I remember, I, I still think of this as the wild, wild west. It's all being reinvented. I, I finally uh, got on board with membership, uh, mm. offering that on my website. It's a great um, offering, great service for those who would like more. And it's so much fun, but you know, uh, these things are coming on the scene all the time. And so I always ask, you know, what do you see from where you're at? How are you doing it? And that's part of the, you know, the business angle, but it's also part of the adventure, part of the fun, part of how else can I reach people and exactly. do good. Exactly. You know, in our membership, we began in 2013 with around 145 people, I think, signed up, which I was like, wow. And now we're just, just under 2,000. And, you know, it's thanks to the, the membership. It's things like when I have this crazy idea, like, hey, let's do an Impact the World podcast. No, we're going to do a video podcast as well. And then I speak to my video editor, my audio engineer, my COO, and we look at the costs for what each episode yeah. is. And there's no funding. It's all coming. It's like, oh, well, we can afford to do this and it's going to be free for people. And let's try it and see. I think that's why it's so important to apply some business logic mm-hmm. to what it is that you are doing. But like you said, start with the place you can add value. For me, it was the energy updates. And then as you, as you offer deeper, more involved services or offerings that the people who want to go, go that route with you, it's fantastic because it just strengthens your mission, your purpose, and then what you can give out. Because I always say that um, you should allow yourself to receive because a truly spiritually open person will be benevolent. 
So if you allow more to come to you yeah. and through you, you are just going to push it back out into the world. And like my greatest joy as the business grows is I'm like, great, what can we do next? What can we make next? Totally. What, who can we employ who's brilliant that we can now afford so that we can raise the production level for the people who are experiencing it? So. Absolutely. And, and it takes my breath away, not only the distance you've covered in such a short amount of time, but, um, you know, I, I can remember doing this and I didn't have a book. And I have 17. I can remember doing this and there was no world tour. I was just waiting for someone to invite me. I can remember having like so little confidence, so little uh, assuredness or self-assuredness that, that I was on the right path and my delusional. First I write for free, now I speak for free. What's wrong with me, you know, is the best of my life over? And as I shared the first evening at Solapalooza, you know, I now realize, given our divine lineage, um, it answers the question, how could I have been so negative and fearful, not only at that crossroads in my life, but through all the crises of my life? So utterly, pitifully negative and scared and prevailed nonetheless and yeah. it's like we are so inclined to succeed and the audience uh, all, every audience needs to hear this it's like you don't have to be mr or mrs positive you don't have to be mr or mrs visionary you just have to have a sense of the truth that you're here for a reason that reason is your own fulfillment that reason is to do with your own heart desires i mean you're here to be you not to put the needs of other people before you. That's not being you, that's my view. When you follow your heart, then you're gonna be the greatest service to other folks. And then all of a sudden you are reached, not because there's a judgmental system, but because you're divine. You're out in the world, you're dreaming, and uh, suddenly it snowballs. And I often think of my life now and like, what did I ever do in my flailing mortal baby steps to deserve so much. I wasn't a goody two-shoes. I, I wasn't positive all the time. I was mostly negative. And it's like, no, this is what awaits all of us. Yeah. You know, you start out humbly. Anybody maybe watching now who didn't know us otherwise would probably think, well, it was easier for them. Mm. Well, they had a gift. They had a calling. Mm. They had certainty. <laughs> no, man, mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. No, it's like we were... I was scared to death, and yeah. uh, I thought the best of my life was over. It had hardly just begun. I hear you, 2009, I didn't really want to be here anymore. Like, my whole life had tanked, as I thought, but actually what was about to happen was the best decade of my life, and, you know, and, it, and, and I think Amazing. that's such an important thing to, to know. Um, that the best can still be yet to come. And I know we're running out of time, but I just want to touch on one brief thing. Uh, you met your beautiful wife, Marisol, and the two of you, five years ago, is it Rebecca five? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, had, had our first child five and a half years ago. Five and a half years ago, Rebecca, your beautiful daughter, was born, and your most recent book um, before this 10th anniversary edition was The Beginner's Guide to the Universe, which I have a copy of, and it's fabulous, and you dedicate it to her. What has that journey been like, becoming a dad oh. in your early 50s? Like, there's a lovely surprise, and she is a, she is a lightning rod. I just met her running around at Solar <laughs> She's gorgeous. Um, it has just been the greatest joy, and, and I feel a bit uh, almost embarrassed to say, like, wow, this has been more than I ever expected. Because, you know, like every time you hear somebody, 
uh, speak about their kids, they say the same thing. So I had 50 years of hearing adults say that <laughs> having a kid was more amazing than they could have ever anticipated. So you think I would have expected it to be more amazing than I could ever anticipated, but uh, no, it was like way more amazing than even my highest, greatest expectations. And, you know, having uh, my only child at uh, this later stage in my life has um, been so amazing because, you know, I, I don't worry about money. I don't mm. worry about free time. I, mm. I, I'm there for her. I, I have such a capacity for, um, you know, patience and appreciation uh, like I could have had in few if any other times in my life. I mean, there's order, and one should never judge their path or their earlier decisions based on what their physical senses are, are then showing them, because our physical senses see so little of reality. They don't see the miracles until after the fact. Um, and this has uh, clearly played itself out um, with Rebecca entering our lives and bringing us so much joy and challenge and all those great things of that course. family bring yeah. you. Um, yeah. But it's been incredible. And and maybe if if anything, the biggest effect it's had on my work is, uh, you know, maybe um, just greater empathy, more love. You know, if I'm frustrated with somebody, it's like, what if it was my daughter? Mm. What if it was somebody else frustrated at my daughter? How would I want them to recalculate, recalibrate? And so it's probably made me more sensitive to other people and more cognizant of, you know, the power of love in every moment. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I said to you at the end of Solapalooza, wow, she's growing up in this. You know, she's running around the tables where all the books are and her norm is going to work where dad is in a room full of hundreds of people who are focusing on love, appreciation, joy, connection, and really experiencing their higher selves and their highest lives. And I was like, wow, imagine growing up in this. And so we will be very curious to see <laughs> what Rebecca is doing and, and not even what she's doing in her life. I would say more who she is being in 15, mm. 20 years time when she's an adult. So Mike, I, I could talk to you for hours. Uh, Thank well, you so much likewise. for coming here Thank and you, for Lee. all that you do in the world. I, like many others, love you very much, and we're grateful that you have done what you have done in the world, and thank you for coming here to share a bit about it with us. Great, great honor, Lee. Yeah. Keep up the great work, and uh, look forward to seeing lots more of you and, and doing things together like we just did Solapalooza. Likewise. So if you want to check out more of Mike's fantastic body of work, including his annual Solapalooza event, which is just a wonderful cosmic party, um, or his Train the Trainer event, which really helps those of you who want to become trainers and facilitators go to the next level. All of his writings or the brilliant notes from the universe, go to his website, which is tut.com, tut.com, the universe talks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Impact the World and see you next time. You have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. And to attend my five-day Impact the World in-person training event held in Scottsdale, Arizona in April 2020, visit leeharrisenergy.com forward slash impact.